I'm a provider. I got to provide for my family and I got to provide for myself. So that's my purpose as an entrepreneur right now. And just trying to think of as many great ways that I can get music out to people in any way that I can. That's, that's, that's a big goal of mine is, is this, even when I'm making music, I'm not making music just to get on the radio. Or I'm not making music just to get a million streams. I'm making music that I think people like me would like to listen to. And when I play music, I play it the same way. I just, I'm not playing it for any particular reason. I'm just really playing it in the way I feel best. And, you know, as long as, like I say, as long as people want to get it, I'll keep giving it to them. I'm, my thing is always just going to be pushing out the best music I can. Thanks for tuning in to the Purposeful Story Podcast, where purpose drives our actions and our actions are a result of our purpose. When you have a strong enough purpose, every action you take in life has meaning and power to it. Every entrepreneur is on a journey to fulfill their purpose, and the world needs to hear it. So without further ado, let's get right into the show. Welcome to the Purposeful Story Podcast. Today we have a DJ starting from scratch. Hey, hey, hey. He's probably one of the most talented DJs I've ever seen live. Um, not only is he a Toronto legend, but worldwide as well. He's worked with many high-end clientele like Naughty <laughs> by Nature, Usher, George Lopez, Russell Peters, Director X, Carlos Santana. I mean, I could go down the list forever. <laughs> Thanks for coming out, man. I appreciate it. It's always it. weird to hear those things afterwards. <laughs> but cool. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's, no, it's fun. No problem. No problem. No problem. So let's get right into it. What gave you inspiration to DJ? Um, The actual inspiration has just always been instilled in me from day one. It's just been music in general. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Since I was a baby, since I was small, <laughs> I was always just driven to music. Mm -hmm. Um. Something about it always just, you know, I was that kid that was dancing from young, never on beat, but um, yeah, it was just always music. Like I was just, I have memories of, of going to my mom's, we called her our second mom, which was like our cousin. Mm -hmm. And we go there and she used to have uh, a turntable with speakers and, and a whole bunch of records. I used to just sit in front and just play records over and over and mm -hmm. just listen to music on the headphones. They would be having a party and I would just be sitting by myself listen to music so it's always been there i i had been exposed to it not knowing i'd been exposed to it by listening to it on the radio mm -hmm. the actual art of djing yeah and then i was never really introduced to it visually until like later in my teens and really and truly when i moved to toronto from montreal which was i was like 14 years old mm -hmm. um went to a school dance and that's where i really i had seen it kind of like through other people back in montreal and stuff mm -hmm. but never really understood it just thought it was this guy's playing music. Yeah. But when I got into high school and I actually saw it firsthand, I was like, this is crazy to me. Mm -hmm. How one person can be in control. And back then, you know, talking 86 or whatever, like high school dances was all we had. Yeah. So it was like 800 people there. Yeah. Yeah. High yeah. school dances were everything for, for our generation. then. so um, I was like, how can one person be in control of so many people just by playing song after song after song? And the thing that, that really got to me was he would play one song and one group of people would go nuts and he'd play another song and another group of people would go nuts. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, this is like, this is, there is an art form to it. I just didn't understand it. I couldn't, still couldn't figure out how they were putting this music together. Mm -hmm. And then as high school went along, I was introduced to more friends that were doing it now. So I actually got to physically try it. And from then I was just hooked and 
I'm glad because I knew I would always be in music doing something. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad I found the lane that that suit me best. Okay, okay, that's that's solid. So, how old were you when you started DJing? Physically starting, probably about sixteen. Okay. Yeah, sixteen. Okay, and did you have like access to turntables, or you had to go somewhere to rent them? Did you? Like, yeah, you I hug- had, I mean, at my house, I had a tape deck and this little wooden turntable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no, I didn't have yeah. access to turntables. Um, I had a bunch of cassettes that I had taped from Montreal. Um, and I just used to listen to them over and over again. And I would try to, to kind of just play this, play the record at the same time as the tape mm-hmm. with no mix or anything. And just kind of, I did, that's how I first, first started just to try to gain knowledge of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I had a few friends that had DJ setups and so forth, so I would always go there, and they would lend me their turntables sometimes. And then I was just every day. Uh, once I started, I was practicing like six hours a day every Jeez. day. Yeah, yeah. I would come home, do my homework, watch my show, eat my snack, and then bang, I would be either at their house or they would come to my house with the stuff, and mm-hmm. was all day, every day, we'd practice. Okay, okay. Just getting your reps in every day. Eh? Have to. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, and you know that's a, that's an interesting thing too because. You know, I've seen you DJ plenty of times and a lot of people, you know, one thing I've learned like myself through entrepreneurship is that anytime you see someone doing something great, you should always ask yourself, what did they sacrifice to get there? Mm-hmm. Right. What type of reps did they put in to get there? Right. And you're showing that, right. You're saying that right now. So it's, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I mean, times have changed now, you know, everybody with a, with a phone or yeah. a computer is a DJ, yeah. is a photographer, is a host, is a <laughs> yeah. podcast. Yeah. Everybody, it's so accessible for anything is accessible for anybody. So yeah. um, I'm glad I kind of had the grassroots beginnings because mm-hmm. um, it, it, it just trains you. It, it gives you a whole different mentality. Like I never got into this thinking I'm going to be doing this 25 years later yeah. and this would be my career. This would, it was just crazy fun to me. And I, I just wanted to be, I never set out to be the best. I just wanted to be the best to me. Like I wanted to be my best. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to go out and play for people not being able to do what I wanted to do in my head. Yeah. 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 So I always just, that's why I was practicing six hours a day. I was like, I, I mean, I have these conversations with people a lot where they're like, Oh, you know, were you into hip hop as a kid or were you into house as a kid? And I was like, I was into everything. Mm. I never, I still don't like, I never separated music. So, Music to me was just music because mm-hmm. that's the way it was brought up. So I was, I wasn't intentionally trying to be different than everybody else. Like I wasn't, you know, I would go in DJ competitions in high school and I'd be mixing, like these guys would be scratching and stuff. And I was like mixing Christmas songs or like house songs, Jeez. And rock songs, yeah. hip hop, because I didn't know the difference. And then that's the interesting thing about the way you DJ, like your mixes are just, it does it make sense but it makes sense yeah, you right yeah, yeah, yeah. i hear that a lot yeah <laughs> i hear the you're the only one that can get away with doing that and i'm like not really but i think people just accept it from me a little better because mm-hmm. also a lot of people keep in mind you know your parents or the new generation like their parents grew up with me yeah yeah i'm not a young kid you know what I yeah mean? so it's like i've been around for a while so odds are somebody's heard me play at some point yeah you know yeah, I mean? yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah it's kind of like instilled in people's brain where it's like cool it's okay i can get away with playing mm-hmm. anything i want really which is crazy to me which is great i mm-hmm. love it because i can never be pigeonholed into one type of music because i could never survive like that yeah eh? too much madness going on in my brain so. <laughs> yeah okay okay so tell us about your first dj gig how did it go 
probably terrible. I don't yeah. remember. It was <laughs> high school times. Yeah. I mean, the cool thing was I was at TL Kennedy just down the street. Okay. Um, and my principal was super cool. And he let me DJ in the, in the cafeteria during lunch, which was crazy because that's who that's everybody. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I was the guy also, I would hang with everybody. I would hang with the hip hop guys. I'd hang with the reggae guys. I'd hang with the skinheads. I'd hang with the rockers. Yeah. I'd hang with the preps because I didn't, again, I looked at people like I, like I looked at music. It didn't really matter to me. Mm. If you're cool, why can't I be cool with you? And why yeah. can't I be cool with him? Yeah. It didn't, yeah. I wasn't thinking like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was crazy cool, and that was a, a great experience for me because I got to because of the way I played music, I could kind of please everybody. You know what I mean? I wasn't the kid going in there and just playing reggae and just playing mm. hip hop to try to be cool. I'd be like, well, why can't I play? You know, stuff that the skinheads like, or stuff that the rockers or the preps like, and so I was just kind of playing everything, and it was really cool that they let that happen at that time because it was just it was like a, a freedom session. How did you come up with the name DJ Starting from Scratch? <laughs> Um, it was basically back when we actually had paper TV guides. Um, it was just one of my friends was like, you need a DJ name. I was like, oh, I'll just use Mark or whatever. And he's like, no, you can't do that. You need a DJ name. And I was like, okay. And then I was just looking through and it was the name of some kid special and it was in bold letters and it said starting from scratch. And I was like, makes sense. Mm-hmm. On all sides of the term, I literally started with nothing, and then obviously the scratching part of it with the DJ stuff. So it was just cool and kind of stuck out to me. Okay, okay, yeah, it's definitely a unique name, man, for sure. Yeah. Has there been anyone that you feel has tried to like take the name from you or, or anything like that? There's been a few along the ways from Toronto that tried to put scratch in their name, like in the <laughs> late '90s and stuff, just to kind of feed off off the hype. But yeah. it never works out. Okay. <laughs> People know the difference. Yeah. And a lot of, weren't white. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of times too, like, you know, anytime someone's trying to copy someone in business or whatever they're doing, most of the time I'd say like, well, yeah, most of the time it doesn't work out because they're looking to take a shortcut. Right? Yeah, of course. And you didn't take a shortcut to get to where you're at. Yeah. Right? And I mean, I think with my profession too, it's like, it's, it's two part where there's a visual aspect to it. And then obviously the sonic part of it. So mm-hmm. they can try all they want, but. It, they're not going to sound like, not to say I'm better, but they're not going to sound like me. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. people will just gravitate to what they're, what they're comfortable with. If people like the way I play, they're going to stick with me. If they like the way you do your thing, they're going to go to you. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. the way it is. Yeah. With anything, really. For sure. For sure. So many people DJ as a part-time thing. When did you, and I'm sure you started out doing it like part-time, right? Now you're full head on in it. Like, how are you able to transition from doing it part-time to full-time? Like, how did you know when to... I mean, it was literally just riding the wave. I would never made like a five-year plan or I Mm -hmm. never, like I said before, I never really thought I'd be doing it this long, Mm -hmm. but I just kind of rode the wave and I was working, you know, I had my jobs, everything from McDonald's to, you know, these restaurants and stuff, but that was just to feed my habit, basically. That was just to buy records, to get money to buy records and and to do all that stuff in the beginning. And then... Not to say it happened fast. It definitely didn't happen fast. It took a long time for me to get rolling. But, you know, back then I was living with my mom and my family. So it's like expenses were low for me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't driving, didn't have a car. So all I really had to worry about was, you know, school and and just making sure, like I said, feeding my habit, making sure I had the material to go out and, and do parties so I can do parties and make money. Mm-hmm. Um, I never went to college, never did any of that because right out of high school, I was, I, I DJed my own prom. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. You know, it's like right out of high school, I just, it's what I wanted to do. And I had full support from my family. So, Mm. you know, had it not worked out for me a year later, I would have had to find something else to do, but I never put myself in that position. I just, Mm -hmm. I just kept working hard and, and was doing any and all gig that I could and just giving it my all. And it just kept, like I say, the wave just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I just got thrown into better opportunities and I take advantage of the opportunities. And then the big snowball just happened and it just kept going, going, going. And, you know, almost 30 years later, I'm still here. Nice. Nice. And that's excellent that, you know, right out of high school, you got to support from your family you know what I mean? To go Absolutely. Up to That's a huge difference. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I knew it's what I wanted to do. You know, I had the opportunity to go to my prom or, you know, make a couple hundred bucks and DJ my prom. And I was like, it's a no brainer to me. Yeah. I yeah. don't need to party. You know what I mean? I don't need to be out on the other side. I want to be in control of it. I want to let me, you know, that's where the business start of it kicked in. And I was like, let me, if I can make money, why spend money? So mm-hmm. let me just do this. I'll do it. I'll still be with my friends. You know what I mean? And then yeah. that was it. And from there, like, that was it. It really just set it off from there. And, and, you know, your high school peers and all that, they're your base. Like that's my massive base. Like I had a huge following and base, but it was all here. It was all in Mississauga. It was everything, you know, was two minutes down the road from here. So all the house parties, I used to live right at Central Parkway in Rathburn. That's where I was living. So it's like everything was just here for me. And all the house parties were all in this area that we're in right now. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's why I always love coming back here. But yeah, everything was just happening. It was just like, and then eventually, you know, somebody would be like, Hey, this guy's throwing a party. Do you want to go do it? Sure. Let's go do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And from there, just graduated into clubs and graduated into bigger and bigger clubs. And then finally going downtown. And once I went downtown, that was it. The mm-hmm. doors just flew wide open for me. Mm-hmm. What would you say? Cause I feel like your situation is a bit unique. You know what I mean? Straight out of high school, you're not going the classic route, going to school. What would you say to entrepreneurs out there who, you know, they have a dream, they're working on their entrepreneurship journey, but their parents are, aren't really supporting it? What would you say? What advice would you give to those entrepreneurs? I mean, you hear this from a lot of people. I mean, I, the reason I did it is because I knew if I was sitting in college, I'd be miserable because all I'd be thinking about is music and mm. I wouldn't be paying attention in class. And, why waste that money for me? Yeah. And it doesn't work for everybody. You know what I mean? But if you have, if you have passion for something, you kind of have to follow it. Otherwise, like who wants to be miserable and living in a cubicle for the rest of their life? Yeah. Without yeah. ever trying it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the time to try it is when you're young. Mm-hmm. You don't want to take these, you know, chances and stuff when you're older and when you have a family underneath you and stuff like that. You yeah. can't afford to take chances at that point. Yeah. You know what I mean? I couldn't have done this stuff in my 20s. Yeah. I wouldn't have moved out to where I'm living now in the 20s. Like, I had to be here. I had to, you know, I had to give my all to do it. And I mean, to be honest, if I didn't have the support of my family, I still would have did it. Mm. It would have been a lot harder. I probably would have to find another place to live and yeah. I would have to pay rent and so forth. But I still would have did it because it's all... I wanted to do 24 hours a day. All I wanted to do was music. Mm -hmm. So I knew, like I said, if DJing didn't work out for me, I would have found another lane. I would have learned to play guitar. I would have learned to play keys. I would have figured something out for me. But I always knew I would just be involved in music somehow. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what would I say to any entrepreneur? As long as you got your stuff together, if you're young, that's the time to do it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If if you're able to, not even if you're young. I mean, if you're in your 30s, but you don't have that, responsibility of the family and stuff underneath you that's the time when you have to take those chances because mm-hmm. you cannot settle down 
and have a big question mark over your head because you're, yeah. you're either going to be miserable, you know what I mean? And that's not going to help anybody. You're going to take it out on everybody around you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I, I hate the word fortunate because I wasn't fortunate. I worked my ass off. Mm. But, you know, and not to say things fell into place. They kind of did. I made them fall into place on yeah. some occasions. and some occasions, they, they just fell on my lap. Mm-hmm. But, I mean... It's kind of hard for me to just give advice to anybody, especially nowadays, because everything's so different. Yeah. I mean, you could literally start your business on your computer in front of your face. Yeah. And never have to leave your house. <laughs> so I, times have definitely changed. Like yeah. that hustle of me having to be out every seven days a week and me having to play seven days a week and me physically having to go out and making, like if, if you didn't see me play in person, you didn't see me play. You never mm-hmm. heard me play. So I had to make sure I was everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to make sure I had to go where you were and I had to go where you were or else you would never hear me play. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, it's like you could put a mix together, pop it on, and a million people can hear you play in 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like that back then. I didn't have radio. I didn't have <coughs> – I wasn't really making mixes. But even if you're making mixes, the only way to get it to people is physically putting a, a cassette in your hand. Mm-hmm. Now, every, obviously, everything's changed. Yeah. I take advantage of, this, of the opportunities too now, but it's like – that grass, like I said, said before, like the grassroots hustle was totally different back then. Yeah. And I'm glad I did it. Um, it just taught me a different way of life. It just taught me, you know, you, if you do not do it for yourself, nobody else is going to do it for you. Mm-hmm. So nowadays everything's kind of dumbified where you did not, you, I mean, you could take tons of shortcuts now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you can, you can copy everybody. I can take exactly what you're doing and do the same exact thing. And if my hustle is better than you, or if I know more people, I can get a million people just like that. While well, you may be better than me, yeah, technically better than me, but your struggle is harder mm-hmm. just because you don't have the reach or you don't have, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there there's still variations and there's still similarities in the hustles, but obviously now it's a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So my, I mean, it's really hard for me to give advice to brand new entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Because my way of thinking is totally different. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. It's a bit, I mean, it's a struggle for me to adapt to keep up with the newness because I'm not a crazy social media person. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't grow up on it. So it's like my concentration even now is like, I don't have time to learn what these new apps are and all that because I'm busy doing what I have to do. Yeah. I have to take care of my family now. And I have to, you know, I'm still mixing music every day for my radios and stuff yeah. like that. So it's like, I don't. I'm one person. I've always been one person. Mm. You know what I mean? I have people that work with me and stuff, but I've always been by myself, mm-hmm. essentially. And I like it that way. You know what I mean? But it's also, it, there's great in it and there's bad in it. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's it's kind of hard for me to just bark out advice for a brand new entrepreneur, but I think there'll always be the matter of, you know, you have, to me, you have to be the best at whatever it is you're trying to be. If not the best, at least to yourself, like I said before, I want it to be the best for myself. Yourself, yeah. The problem I think now is people's attention spans are so small and it's so easy to get stuff out that people don't really care about what they're putting out anymore. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I still do. So I'll take, I'd rather take three weeks to do something and put it out to where I'm happy with it than try to rush out 15 mixes in a week just because everybody else is. Because mm-hmm. that to me, I mean, I think there's still enough people out there that care about quality on the consumer side. Yeah. Case of what, me? Us? And, yeah. And I mean, we may be a minority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a ton of people that just want 
give me, give me, this came out five minutes ago. Oh, it's already old. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> you can, you can stay in that lane. I'm going to, you know, stay in my lane. So, I mean, I think if I was going to talk to an entrepreneur, I'd need to know exactly what they're doing, what mm-hmm. they want to do, what they think they're going to do with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I talk to a lot of young DJs, up and coming DJs, and they ask me, you know, what should I do? And what don't I, and I, my first question is, as always, what kind of a DJ do you want to be? Mm-hmm. Like, do you, are you trying to make a million dollars in a year? Then you got to, your hustle game's got to be completely different than mine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause I'm, like I said, I'm always, to me, it's always quality first, mm-hmm. but that's me personally. Mm-hmm. I'm also, I also expect that as a consumer. I hate going to places where I see people mailing it in, like if they're singers or they're rappers or they're DJs. Like I, I just hate it when I see people mailing it in. I think it's such a disrespect. When you say mailing in, and what do you mean by that? Sorry. Half assing it. Oh, okay. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, to me, that's just the ultimate disrespect to mm-hmm. the craft. And I get upset with that because I'm very passionate about my craft and I take it very seriously. It's my life. Mm-hmm. That's the real the reality of it is my life. So, um, and you see it with everything, you know what I mean? Yeah. You'll see DJs go out and, you know, whatever, just a laptop and they're like, well, why do I need turntables or why do I need this equipment? I'm like, you don't. Technically, you don't. Yeah. But if you're going to use the, just a computer, then make sure you're the best at ju- using just a computer. Mm. Just because you're using just a computer doesn't mean you have to play like you're using just a computer. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? If if you can make me not know the difference, cool. Use I don't really care whatever you use mm-hmm. as a DJ. You can use whatever you want. Just don't treat it like it's a side chick. Like, yeah. Treat it like it's your wife. Like, yeah. <laughs> treat it properly. Like, don't yeah, disrespect yeah. the art form. That's something I, I get very bitter and passionate about. Mm-hmm. What would you say separates you from other DJs out there? I don't even know if I can answer that. Um, I mean, I guess from what I've heard from other people, it's just being different and mm-hmm. being, you know, I've always, when I say I practice six hours, I'm not joking. Like I would just sit there and mix records for six hours because mm-hmm. that to me was always the most important. I Me mean, scratching, even though it's in my name, I mean, I'm average. I'm nothing crazy. I can't do any of this stuff. These, these new kids. Are Humble doing. guy, man. <laughs> no, I, I just do it. I, I, and I'm honest with it because it was never my focus. My mm-hmm. focus was always mixing because mm. to me, I could, I could always tell the difference off the bat mm-hmm. between a good mix and a bad mix, even though I wasn't able to do it. Sonically, I could just say that doesn't sound right and that sounds good. So I always wanted to be like, no matter what I'm doing, it has to sound good. Mm-hmm. That was just me. That was my, you know, my painting going out. I'm sitting there putting two records together. I'm painting and I'm giving you my painting. Yeah. It has to look good. It has to sound good. Mm-hmm. So. That's always been like number one to me. So I guess that and just the fact that I can kind of play all kinds of music has always been like my two, the two big things that stood out for me. That's solid, man. Um, what, you know, maybe you can't describe it, but how would you be able to tell a good mix from a bad mix? Is that something you got to hear? Or can you kind of describe that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, there's no way for me to put it into words. Yeah. It would probably take me three hours to describe it, but. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely like I'm such a music geek that too much for my own good at times because mm. I'm too much of a perfectionist. But um yeah, I just I, I don't even know. I just know that ninety eight percent of the people don't. Interesting. Don't know and ninety percent of ninety eight percent of DJs don't do it properly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mixing wise. For me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's interesting. And 
you know, the reason why I even gra- 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 um, gravitated towards you is because I, I grew up in a generation that was kind of in between, right? Mm-hmm. Like I had cousins who listened to like the Tribe Called Quest, the KRS-1s, and I was a curious kid. So anytime I went over to their house, I'd go through their albums, yeah. their vinyls, and then I was sort of on the, you know, late, mid nineties, early two thousands. So I got a taste of that. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, that's why I sort of gravitated towards you because, you know, I could tell that your sound was unique in itself and I could tell that you took the time in it, you know, time from it. Studying like, you know, really great hip hop artists really make me, you know, sort of grasp what quality music is, mm. right? What quality sound sounds like. Um, and it is kind of unfortunate because you don't see that as often. You know, as you mentioned, like a lot of people are looking for the quick way to to make that big buck, right? And there's there's that lack of why behind what they're doing. It's right? tough. I mean, I I understand it because mm-hmm. I mean, think about the people you just named. You know, the Q-tips and and the KRSs, and you know, these guys are the ultimate. Like when you talk legends, you're talking legends. These guys are up there. Mm-hmm. And how do you think they feel sitting back and looking at Migos and being like, these guys have already like quadrupled what I've ever made in my yeah, career. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like these guys have KRS and these guys have like, if it wasn't for them, there wouldn't be these guys. But now they're going, you know, if KRS says something, he's bitter because if he slams Migos and Migos is like, well, nobody cares about you. You're old. And he's like, well, nobody, you know, but people do care about them. So yeah. you can't really say anything. And then it's like, the older guys are like, you got to show respect to the older guys. The younger guys are like, eh, yeah. why yeah. should I? I don't care. I'm already making more money than you. Yeah. Than yeah. you've ever made in your life on one single. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, I get it. And and by the same token, I also get it. If I was just starting out as a rapper mm-hmm. and you know, I'm young, the guys I'm listening to, the Drakes and the Migos and, and these guys, I see what they're making. We never had that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The guys we were looking up to, we never looked at them for money because most of them probably had none. Mm-hmm. They were just, people were just popping out music left and right. It sounded dope. Everybody was dancing. You never looked at Mob Deep and were like, these guys are making crazy money. Yeah. 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 Because yeah, yeah. they didn't show it off. Yeah. Nobody showed it off back then. Yeah. You know what I mean? But now it, that's the appearance. You have to have the cars and the chains and the bottles and, you know, the, the shirts and all that. So with everything, everything changes. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's, it's like, it's super tough, but like I said, I understand why people would do that, and then it just gets worse. So, you know, if the if the whole new wave of, of musicians follows the Migos trends and follows these guys' trends, of course, it's all it's just going to get worse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Attention spans get shorter. People's you know popping out music like crazy. Everything just shrivels up and shrivels up and shrivels. Eventually, it's going to die because mm-hmm. the quality is going to be so bad at some point that people are going to be like, "What the hell are we listening to?" Mm-hmm. We've always had bad music. Yeah. There's always been poor quality music in any music you listen to. That's true. From any genre and any generation, there's been terrible music. Mm-hmm. It's just now that terrible music is all everybody hears. <laughs> so it's like, I, 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 it's not all terrible. There's a lot of great music out there. But yeah. It's that the stigma of the terrible mumble rappers and the stigma of that being terrible music that's in the forefront. Mm-hmm. So it's what everybody sees. It's what everybody wants to be. It's what, it, you know, th- the kids want it. So it's like the adults look like they're old and crusty <laughs> and the kids are like, ah, oh, you guys got to listen to, I mean, we all went through that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, it's just, 
how you said like you would listen to Tribe. That's how I was. Yeah. Growing up, I was listening to Beatles records, sixties mm. music. Okay. And I was born in the 70s. Yeah. But I would just, I didn't care because I was just like, this is shit. It's crazy to me. Yeah. I loved it. So I was listening to that and whatever was coming out at this time. Mm -hmm. And I still do. I still listen to all the new stuff and I listen to the old stuff. To me, music is music, but it's just all that stuff, all the quote unquote crappy music is just everywhere now. Mm -hmm. It's dominating festivals. It's dominating the radio. It's dominating the online market. So it's like, when is it going to change? Who knows? Mm -hmm. I have no clue. I'm anxious to see what, you know, 2019 is going to hold. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. We're going down a miserable path right now <laughs> with everything though, with everything. Like yeah. I say, consumers want everything so fast and, and people, instead of supplying, you know, the ultimate quality, you're just popping everything out quicker, no mm -hmm. matter what it is. Yeah. Not just music, everything. So I don't know. It's a weird time and a weird place, but when it was inevitable, it'll happen. It's, you know, it's not 1990 anymore. Yeah, yeah. Interesting times for sure. So growing up, who was your biggest influence when it comes to DJing? It's always just been two. It's just been Jazzy Jeff and Kid Capri. Okay. They've always been my two biggest influences. Have you actually like done like uh, a, a DJ gig with Jazzy Jeff at all? Oh yeah, we played we played together a few times, and he invited me out to his playlist retreat last year. We're 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 friends, so um, yeah, he's still. I mean, he's still the ultimate to me. Mm -hmm. um, and he, I look at him, I look up at him the most because he's he's like, well, I won't say like me because I've modeled myself more like him, but he's still does what he wants to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's also in a fortunate position where he's not hurting for money. Yeah. yeah you know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> so he, but he pushes the, the true art form forward all the time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And he always represents, you know, the true art form. And even when he makes his music, he's making, he's not making music just to gain a million followers. He's making music that he loves. Mm -hmm. And I respect that so much because, you know, it's, it's, it's a struggle. It's hard to still be, you know, starting from scratch in 2018 from 1990 and still try to be relevant and still try to be, you know, not looked at as the old guy and still, you know, but by the same token, I'm not booking gigs where I'm playing for 19 year olds who are standing on couches popping bottles because <laughs> I, I did that already. It's not my lane. So mm. I understand my lane. Um, I just still try to expand my lane as much as I can by staying true to myself. I, I have the ultimate respect for him and guys like him that will always stay true to themselves. I mean, we're DJs. Our job is to make people have fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't go out there and force feed because then you look like that old bitter guy. You can't go out <laughs> and force feed music that they don't want to hear. But there's, I think there's, because you're a DJ and you have so many capabilities, I think there's always a way to expand the music that you're playing and when i have conversations with new guys it's frustrating because they're like oh i can't play that for my crowd or i can't play you know this song for my crowd they won't like it i'm like they don't like it because nobody's doing it mm. you're gonna take licks when i used to take licks all the time when i would try different stuff mm -hmm. but you have to figure out ways to do it like if your job is to just be a jukebox and play what everybody else is playing then have fun being a jukebox but i guarantee you in two years you're either gone because somebody else is going to be a new jukebox, a cheaper jukebox. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And you're expendable at that point. You have to make yourself not be expendable. You know what I mean? I made that conscious decision 
early on in my career. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? By doing a few things, by when I would start playing, I would always, you know, my motto to myself, which is what I learned from Kid Capri, was just make yourself known. You know what I mean? Like if if all three of us in this room are DJing on a certain night and we're all kind of playing the same, and then people leave and be like, who is playing? I don't know. Mm. I was like, that is never going to happen to me. And I wasn't even a mic talker. Like, Kid Capri's different. He would just come on after anybody and just grab the microphone and not even play one record and have the place go crazy. Jeez, yeah. He was a beast on the mic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He was never the most technical guy in the world, but I never took that aspect from him. Mm-hmm. That was what I got from Jeff. Jeff was a smooth guy. Jeff was a technical guy. That's what I used for my template as DJ. Mm-hmm. Kid Capri's uh, influence on me was always his beast. His beast, like his, he was a beast. Like no matter when he came, like people got excited when he came on. And I was mm-hmm. just like, the first time I saw him play, I was like, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't even, and for me to say, I wasn't even paying attention to music because that's all I do. There could be a room full of naked women running around. <laughs> and if I'm, I'm listening to the music, I'm paying attention to what songs are playing. Like that's how I am. Mm-hmm. And what took me with Capri was just like, he came on and he grabbed the mic and he was so aggressive and he, he didn't say those words verbatim, but in a sense he was like, I don't give a shit who played before me. Mm-hmm. The party starts now. Yeah. And I was just like, great. That's amazing. Yeah. Cause you just wiped out three hours of what happened before you yeah. without even playing one song. And I was like, that's incredible to me. So I made sure I adopted that mentality without talking so can you recall your most memorable DJ gig? There's been a few. I mean, probably, I mean, the Usher tour was a game changer for me just because it, it kind of changed my way of thinking on everything and he really pushed me to my limits. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably the gig that led up to that was probably one of my most memorable. It was because it was a small little, sorry. Yeah. It was a small little wedding, like literally the size of this room. And he was there and from that night, he heard me play. He stayed the whole night dancing and asked me to go on tour with him. That and two months later, I was on tour with him. Mm. So it's like everything kind of, it was like a weird thing and it just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was probably one of the most memorable. I mean, I have tons from when I was starting out and stuff like big concerts and stuff like that. But that one was memorable just because it led to, you know, arguably the biggest opportunity of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, besides the Russell stuff, obviously, which is huge. Yeah. But yeah, I was just, I was in a position where nobody, I mean, A-Track at that time was with Kanye and stuff. So there, it, it was out there. But from, from our side, like from my field, I was like the first one to kind of get that opportunity. So it was, it was very big for a lot of us mm-hmm. that weren't turntablists and that weren't, you know what I mean? We're club guys. I was a club guy going on tour with Usher in a sense. Mm. I wasn't Fat Man Scoop on the mic. And <laughs> I wasn't, you know, A-Track who was like a, a crazy turntablist. So it's like, it was exciting. It was tons of pressure. It was every emotion you can feel rolled up into one for, you know, a few months when I was on tour with him. And it was a great learning experience. And, you know, I, I like I said, I'm kind of itching to, to do it again now because I know I could do it a lot better now, mm-hmm. learning what I learned on, on that tour. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I would have to say the Usher thing just for what it did to me. I mean, the Russell things were amazing because it went around the world. Yeah. Back. But it's different because we're friends. Yeah. So it's like we started out together, literally. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it was friends going out on tour with each other, which you can never beat. Like it was an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, the Usher thing was just different because it was work. When mm-hmm. I'm doing Russell stuff, it's like, it doesn't feel like work <laughs> to him or to us. Cause yeah. we just go out there and do what we do. And he goes out and does what he does. And we go off stage and we're laughing and go to the room. And we're laughing. So it never felt like work. The Usher thing was work. It was things I'd never done before. I never had to do the same routine every night. Mm. I've never done that before in my life. Interesting. Yeah. Even yeah. when I was touring with all these other artists and stuff, it's like, there's always vari- variations to it. I can kind of do what I need to do. And with the Usher thing, it's like, you have to do the same thing every night. It's like clockwork. You know, you have to, you have 33 seconds to do this, go. And I was like, I'm, I've never, I wasn't used to it. I never had to work like that before. Mm-hmm. So it was very, very hard for me. And it, and it sucked that, you know, I didn't get into my groove till kind of the end of the tour, which mm-hmm. is usually the case. But, yeah, it was it was a tremendous learning experience, and and I mean he put me on the ultimate platform. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm always appreciative to him for that. And um, yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping it'll happen again. Yeah. I would love to go out with like a Justin Timberlake or or somebody like that, where I can do more mm-hmm. than just be like a hip hop DJ per se. Yeah, yeah. You know I mean, I want to be in a situation where I can do more with the music and I can have more fun with the crowd and. And I mean, I've gotten to do it with like new kids and stuff. Uh, two years ago when they did the tour, I got the call to open for them the two shows at ACC, which was, it's crazy fun. I mean, I love that artists put DJs in the forefront. I love that. Like mm-hmm. I, I it, it could be me. It could be anybody. I just love seeing it there. I love that people get to see it as long as it's done properly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I went to the JT show, the J- Timberlake show mm-hmm. two weeks ago and I was disappointed because the DJ wasn't doing anything. He was just on the mic. Mm-hmm. He wasn't doing anything. And I was like, okay, you're kind of pointless. And he was right in the middle of the arena, all eyes on him. And I was like, you're wasting an opportunity right now. Yeah. Yeah. Where you have guys like Active, who's killing it right now, who was on tour with Janet Jackson. We went to see him and. You know, she puts him out there first. He plays for the crowd. He hypes them up, but he's a real DJ. So he's doing his thing. He's cutting it up and he's having fun with the crowd. And then he's a part of her whole show. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I love seeing that because, you know, for an artist of that stature to put that much trust in a DJ yeah, is crazy. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And to have a DJ that, that does it properly and still represents the culture properly. And by all means, I'm not saying you have to go up there and use turntables and cut records and i'm not even looking for that because most people don't care mm-hmm. her crowd doesn't care about that yeah but she's still in the russell manner she's like i don't really care if you guys care i like it so here mm-hmm. you want to come see me so take my show yeah which is what russell did which is amazing i mean you know deaf comedy jam and all these things have always had djs yeah yeah but they were always hidden mm. like they show capri at the beginning of deaf comedy jam yeah. on the mic and stuff but it's also licensing issues and stuff. You couldn't play the music and stuff. But still, they were always up in the balcony. or They was always to the side. Mm-hmm. Russell was like, I'm going to stick two of my favorite DJs on the stage. And we're there the whole time. And we're, you know, we're as much in the forefront as he is, mm-hmm. which was never done before. Mm-hmm. You know, even when I did the shows with George Lopez, he was like, you got to be on the side of the stage. The stage <laughs> is mine. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. I'm just happy to be on the tour. But yeah. Okay, cool. I was literally like on the side of the stage. If you didn't see me, you didn't see me. You know what I mean? And you would more hear me than see me. Mm-hmm. But Russell was like, I don't give a shit. You guys are going to be right here. You guys are on every DVD that I do, every special. See our names and lights. Our names stay on the whole time. It's like no one had ever done that before. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Which was amazing. And he's a DJ too, which I understand why he did it, but he's a music lover first. Mm-hmm. And he appreciates proper music. Like he was just like, you guys go out there and do you. I don't care what they like because they're not there for this. They're there for me. Mm. So I'm going to give them what I like. And mm. I was like, we're going to give them what you like. <laughs> and it, it just worked out. And and I think that's a beautiful thing to be in, to have that much power, be in that position. And I mean, it's a risk. You're mm-hmm. taking a risk at that point. You know, you're, you're taking a risk by sticking these guys out there for an hour before you go on. It could go horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Really and truly. Like the crowd could get antsy. They could just get upset. But it's always worked out just because, I mean, we're both professionals. We know what we're doing. But we still did it our way. And I think people appreciate that, just being like, oh, I went and saw these DJs and they were mixing music like crazy and so much stuff was going on. And then Russell came out and, you know, it just worked out to be a, a beautiful thing. And, and you know, he's still doing it. I can't go out anymore with him, but he's still doing it and he still has spin bag with him and, it, and it's a beautiful thing. And anybody else out there that does it, as long as they do it properly, I'll, I'll always be the first to applaud that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love it. Powerful stuff. So what's next for DJ starting from scratch? I just always try to create avenues that I know I can succeed at. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, as lo- like Same thing I said before. As long as there's people out there that want goodness, I'm going to give them goodness in some aspects. So it's like, you know, the podcast thing became big. I started doing it and it did very well for me. I'm on iHeart, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. iHeart's giving me my own channel now. So it's like, there's a lot of things happening on that side of it, which I'm thankful for because I don't want to be, you know, that super old guy in the club for the rest <laughs> of my life. So, I mean, it's going to be that stuff. It's going to be production. It's going to be radio, furthering in radio and those kind of things. That's what I see my future for me. As a business owner, the more you can leverage your time, the better it is for your company. There is this amazing online resource called Fiverr, where you can hire someone for just $5 to do just about any task for you, whether it be logo design, market research, videography, or website building, Fiverr has it all. Please go to imkobe.com forward slash resources and click on the Fiverr icon to make an account. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Welcome to the Purpose Round, where we ask the right questions that really bring out the purpose behind our entrepreneurs and their journey. So, Scratch, what is an everyday habit that adds value to your purpose? What is there a what? What is an everyday habit that adds value to your purpose? Listening to music. Straight up. (laughs) I think I could have answered that one myself. I just, yeah, I have speakers like all around the house. I go in the kitchen, there's music. I go and take a shower, there's music. And, you know, it's beautiful because my kids are the same. My wife is the same. Like mm-hmm. we're all music junkies. So it's like my kids, when I, when I'm going in the shower, they're like, daddy, can you turn on the music? And then they're just dancing around. You know what I mean? So it's it's, it's just, it's a beautiful thing to watch, but yeah, listening to music, obviously. Yeah. Okay. If you could have a conversation with one person, who would it be and why? Hmm. I've had a lot of these conversations already. Um, could be living or dead. It doesn't matter. Hmm. It's a good question. I have to think outside my field because I've pretty much talked to everybody I'd want to in my field. Nice. Um, probably two people and they're both dead mm-hmm. would be Biggie and Bob Marley. But I would like to talk to them with them being, I would like to talk to them in the sense that they've been dead for when they died, but talking to them as they're looking down on the world now. Interesting. Yeah. I would like to see like, 
I would like to ask them the kind of questions where you would ask me and be like, what do you think you'd be doing now? And how do you, th- how does it feel that your music has translated into the new generation? And, and, and just questions like that. And, and, you know, two different people, two different, two totally different people. Mm-hmm. Um, but like for Bob, it would be like more along the lines of like how he came up with this music. And I mean, his music was always so different than everybody else's, even in reggae to me anyways, as a listener. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I just always found it really interesting, like how soulful he was. And I would really like to dig into his, his roots and be like who, who he listened to. And I know that stuff is probably online and stuff, but asking people more and same with Biggie, I'd, be, I'd just like to see, I would love to see their views of, of what's happening right now, mm-hmm. to be honest. Okay. That would be the most intriguing conversation to me. Interesting. What is your main strategy for organizing your day? <laughs> I'm, ter- I'm terrible at organizing my day. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, I'm a routine guy. Okay. I have my routine. I, I kind of have to because the kids and, and work and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm a terrible time management guy and I'm, if it wasn't for my routine, I'd probably be all over the place. Cause I just, I'm that guy that as soon as I think of something, I'm like a little kid that you show keys to. It's like, <laughs> if I see something I need to do, I go do that. And then I forget about this and I'll be like, I look on my phone. I got to answer this email. Okay. I'll answer it after I finish this. And then I finish that and I forget to answer my email. <laughs> so that's kind of how my, my life works. Hey man. Well, you mentioned a key thing, their routine, right? There's a lot of successful people out there. Um, well, most successful, well, I think every single successful person, they have some sort of routine. You kind of have built to, in, yeah. right? I mean, they tell you, like, I mean, it's, they tell you with your kids, when your kids are born, the first thing you need to do is establish routine. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Cause it builds their character and it gets them, you know, it, it does everything they need to do in their brain. So, I mean, it's the same with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to maintain that as much as I can. It's tough. I mean, the older you get, the more responsibilities you tag on, you mm-hmm. tag on. It, it's tough, but, um, I love the challenge of it. I mean, I love not being able to finish everything in one day. That's as weird as that Interesting, sounds. Interesting, yeah. As weird as that sounds. And not just not, not with me being lazy. Mm-hmm. I don't sit there and watch TV. I don't play video games. Yeah. I don't do any of that stuff. I just have too much to do. Mm-hmm. So, but I love that. Like, I love not being able to do that stuff because that means when I get up, I have more to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's not like I'm putting stuff off, which I still do. Yeah. But, that's not my, my main focus. It's just that I say that just because, like I say, I think it's always obviously better to have more stuff to do than nothing to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. What was your worst entrepreneurial moment and what did you learn from it? I've only, I mean, I've only ever done this. Mm. I mean, I've had, I guess you could say maybe parties that didn't go well and so forth, but I've never gone into like side businesses per se. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I have no comment on that, but I mean, in my field, I mean, just, I guess it's like any field. I mean, you have to take, if you don't take your licks, you're never going to be stronger. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, of course I've taken my licks and I've lost money on concerts and I've lost money doing parties and so forth. But if you don't, you know, they're learning experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you've been like booed before and stuff like that? No, I've never been booed. No. <laughs> I've never been booed. I've never had that. It's never been a performance issue. Okay. It's okay. been behind the scenes issues. Okay. So it's been, like I say, you know, putting together a show and, and, and it doesn't turn out or something happens with the artist or, you know what I mean? Like certain things like that. It's never been, no, I've never had, I've never had that happen to me. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Which is pretty amazing considering 
what I've gone through in the 90s <laughs> <laughs> and how tough Toronto is. Okay. Okay. If you had to build a business from the ground up with only $100, how would you leverage that? Now? Yeah. So you're asking me now questions. <laughs> $100. Uh, to build a business. I mean, I, I guess anything is possible now. Yeah. Um, Maybe you can even make it specific to DJing, right? Yeah. I mean, if I guess if I had a hundred dollars, you had no equipment, no DJ equipment at all, just a hundred dollars. If I had that hundred dollars, I'd probably give somebody 50 bucks and be like, let me use your stuff for a few hours mm -hmm. and record what I need to record. Yeah. And I would use the other 50 book bucks to, boost my social posts yeah. and promote myself as much as I can with that $50. I mean, that's really all as a D and I'm only talking as a DJ. I mean, promotion is everything, right? So it's like, I would have to maximize that hundred dollars on a promotion level, really, because mm -hmm. it's obviously not going to buy you enough to give physical stuff away. Yeah, yeah. So the best you can do is give online stuff away. Okay. Okay. What's the best advice you've ever received? Um, Probably from Usher, it was a really quick line where he, because there was about three shows into the to the tour, I didn't think I was going to be able to do it anymore because I just it it was really stressing me out because I was I wasn't comfortable and I I don't like that feeling. Mm -hmm. And I we were talking in the back, and he's like, "What's wrong?" And I was like, "I don't think I can do this because you're asking me to do things I've never done before, and I'm not comfortable, so it's not." me it's not natural for me and i'm not playing the way i should be playing mm -hmm. and he's like look if you don't do this somebody else will mm. he's like if you want to leave you can leave but i'm gonna have somebody here tomorrow and once he said that to me my brain just went click and i think that's i mean and that wasn't that longer that was you're talking like 2008 or whatever 2009 when i went on tour with him but um just that phrase alone has stuck with me ever since so anything I, and I, and the funny thing is I've always, I've always approached playing out and, and DJing like that. I've always been like, it's the same mentality being that if you, if you were never, if you don't make a difference while you're here, you were never here. It's the same kind mm -hmm. of mentality, but having him say, look at me dead in the face. He's like, if you don't do it, someone else will. And like, no smile, not like blank face. Like, yeah. It's business. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? It is business. And I don't want anybody else to do this. I want to do this. Mm -hmm. So I stayed and I stuck it out and I worked harder. And I was calling my friends every day. And I was like, what do I do? You know, how do I break myself out of this mold? And, you know, I had advice from a bunch of people. And, you know, it's all what goes back to do you. You're there for a reason. And, do you know, he picked you for a reason. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so I, ever since he said that to me, that's always stuck in my head. And I use that. I tell that to other people. You know what I mean? I tell that to other DJs when they're complaining about their club nights and, oh, my club nights, I hate being here. So don't do it. Mm -hmm. Oh, but I have to do it. Well, if you don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. Okay, I have to do it. Yeah. Like, it's weird when you say that to somebody, it, it kind of kicks in reality. It mm -hmm. makes reality right in front of your face. So I was like, ever since that, that's probably the, the strongest thing that, sent, that somebody's ever said to me. Okay. Okay. Tell us something that you think is true about business that most people don't agree with you on. Exactly what I just said before. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> but it makes sense. Like, it, yeah. it actually really makes like, And I can only use it for what I do as a living. But yeah. it makes sense. Like if you don't, if you don't do it or even, actually you could even say if you don't do it properly and somebody else does, you're gone. Mm -hmm. Or if you don't do it and somebody else is going to do it, 
you got to do it and you got to do it to the best of your ability. So, I mean, there's different ways you could say it, but yeah, I think it, I think that still boils down to it for me. Okay. Is there any last piece of value you can leave with our listeners? Just work your ass off and, and please just, if you have respect for something that you're doing and you claim you have respect for something that you're doing, no matter what you're doing, treat it as such. Mm -hmm. Like I made the joke before about the side chick and the wife, like, it's funny, but it's reality. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to treat your wife or your husband with the ultimate respect, and that side piece is the side piece, mm -hmm. and will always be treated as a side piece. So, it's like, if you have love and respect for something, treat it as such, and and don't disrespect the craft by half-assing it and, and trying to cut corners and do things just to make... You know, money because basically you're shitting all over everything everybody has put their blood, sweat, and tears into before. Mm -hmm. And that goes with anything you do in life. Mm -hmm. So I always tell people that. I mean, like I say, I talk to a lot of young DJs and so forth, and I always tell them that. Like, I know Iverson, the joke with the practice, it's just practice, it's just practice. It is practice. Mm -hmm. And everybody needs it. I don't mm -hmm. care who you are. Yeah. You talk to the top guys, they'll tell you they need the practice. Mm -hmm. If they don't, then they don't give a shit about the craft. Mm -hmm. And that's reality and that's honesty too. Um, and people can tell. Like you can tell when you care about something. It's it's Someone can tell when you care about them and someone can tell when you're giving me something. I can tell if you care about it or if you're just giving it to me. And you're moving on to something else. Mm -hmm. I can tell. Maybe I'm different. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's always what I tell people the most is just pre if you really love something, you're going to respect it and you're going to make sure you're the best at it mm -hmm. or the best you can do at it. And that's all I would ever tell somebody no matter what you do in life. Okay. Okay. How can the Purposeful Story family reach out to you and follow you on your entrepreneurial journey? <laughs> <laughs> Call me. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I guess all the social platforms, the yeah. regular starting from scratch on Instagram, DJ SFS on Twitter, um, anywhere you want me, really hit me up. Okay. And what is your purpose as an entrepreneur? What is my purpose? Yeah. Now? Yeah. Provide. I'm a provider. I got to provide for my family and I got to provide for myself. So that's my purpose as an entrepreneur right now. And just really, um, I'm just trying to think of as many great ways that I can get music out to people in any, in any way that I can. That's, that's, that's a big goal of mine is, is just even when I'm making music, I'm not making music just to get on the radio. Or I'm not making music just to get a million streams. I'm making music that I think people like me would like to listen to. And, and, um, when I play music, I play it the same way. I just, I'm not playing it for any particular reason. I'm just really playing it in the way I feel best. And, you know, as long as, like I say, as long as people want to get it, I'll keep giving it to them. I'm, my thing is always just going to be pushing out the best music I can. Okay. Okay. That's it. Thank you for coming on the no show problem. today, man. Thank you. We appreciate fun. it. Lots of fun. Yes, for sure, man. For sure. That's all for this episode. I hope listening to this podcast left you with valuable information that either strengthened your purpose or helped bring you closer to finding your purpose. We all have a different journey in life, and this podcast is in support of everyone's purposeful journey. Thank you so much for tuning in, because without you, there is no Purposeful Story podcast. Please feel free to email me at info at and let me know what you thought of this episode. 
To help spread the valuable information this podcast has to offer, all I ask is for you to subscribe to the podcast via the Apple Podcast app, Podcast Addict, Google Play Music, or CastBox. Give a rating and pass this podcast on to one friend that you feel could benefit from this information. Don't forget to follow I Am Kobe Talks on Instagram for updates on new episodes and go to IamKobe.com forward slash Purposeful Story for more valuable content. Special thanks to DJ Anna for the beats and Lala Writes for the editing. Before you go, please remember that purpose drives your actions and your actions are a result of your purpose. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon. Wow, wow, wow.